Hello, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah Streming again with The Cognitive Canine. Last week, we started talking about a dog that I've worked with, a golden retriever named Jade. And this week, we're going to continue his story. Last week, we talked a lot about basically where I got him and his handler started on his path to recovery from all of his troubling behavior. Um, we talked about his diet. We talked about exercise. We talked about communication. And basically, just where we had to start repairing everything between he and Emily before we could really get into the nitty-gritty of behavior modification. So, this week we're going to talk about the specifics. This is what everybody's always really interested in, um, is what did we do to actually alter his behavior? What are the specifics of the behavior modification that we did? Um, and even though this is what everybody wants to talk about, I actually think that um, there are many routes in this area. So what I did with Jade, you know, other plans certainly could have worked. As long as the other stuff that we talked about last week was in play. Um, without that stuff, I don't think we would have gotten as far as we did. So a little brief um, history on the actual behaviors that we tried to solve with Jade. First of all, we really wanted to address his issues with other dogs. He had developed um, just some kind of reactive or maybe aggressive behaviors towards strange dogs, particularly in tight spaces, leashed situations, and particularly uh, agility trial type situations, which is um, one of Emily's goals with Jade when we started was getting him to be able to be a safe dog at agility trials. Um, so his, basically his troubling behaviors around other dogs is one of the things that we addressed. And then what we're going to talk about today is his behaviors surrounding actual agility, both competition and training, that were a big problem for he and Emily. Uh, primarily the fact that he would bite her and body slam her on course. Um, and you might not think that's a big deal until you see it uh, <laughs> happening in such an extreme way. It was quite violent and really difficult for Emily to get, you know, from A to B on course. So let's get into it. We're going to first talk about dogs. Um, I'm going to start by saying there are so many paths to take in treating dog-dog reactivity or dog-dog aggression. I'm certainly not claiming to know everything. I'm not even claiming to be your best source of information on this. I have been privy to some really, really good information that other people in the field have pioneered, and that's why I've had success in this area. Um, I've certainly had some great case resolution with reactivity and aggression, but um, I encourage anybody who's experiencing these things to really reach out for some great sources. Um, generally speaking, I like to go with what's called a DRO procedure, which is just stands for differential reinforcement of other behaviors. And basically all that means is anything that you offer other than aggression or reactivity will be reinforced. Um, I like that paired with usually some classical counter conditioning, um, which basically just means you see a dog and good things happen to you, as well as, um, 
some kind of BAT 2.0, so Grisha Stewart's behavior adjustment training and um, specifically the newer version of it. All of these things I'm a fan of. And I actually do like to hit aggression and reactivity from different corners. I don't think there is a one-size-fits-all program for it. Um, Usually that's just because the handler and the dog are both going to be different every time you try to tackle this. And so while there probably are one-size-fits-all methods for trainers who are actually working with the dog, um, you've also got to take your client and the dog in front of you um, into account. So early on with Jade, we did a whole lot of work with some really fantastic neutral dogs that I get to use. Um, So these are dogs that have just impeccable body language skills with other dogs and who are not afraid of other dogs. And so we worked him a lot with some great neutral dogs doing that DRO procedure, um, as well as recognizing that the function of aggression and reactivity is always to seek distance from whatever the trigger is. And so being sure that a salient reinforcement for us was always distance from the trigger. So allowing Jade space from the trigger when he made good choices um, was a cornerstone of what we did. I worked hard on teaching Emily to see really great body language in Jade as well as concerning body language. So we talked in depth about body language you know, I would always ask her, what are you seeing right now? Tell me details whenever we were working together. Often I would work Jade. I would have her tell me what it was that I was marking and reinforcing. I would have her tell me, you know, what changes are we seeing now that we've taken one step towards the trigger, etc. It was always this open door of communication. It was always helping Emily to see Jade And then really helping Emily to trust what she was seeing. Because I often think that um, handlers of dogs like this, really, they stop trusting their instinct because so often the outbursts take them by surprise. And so then they don't trust themselves to be able to see the precursors. But when you lay out the precursors for them um, and you talk about what those precursors are that happen way before a growl or a snarl or anything aggressive. So you know, sometimes stiffening a body posture, but it needs to be early, early stiffening, you know, not a hard freeze. Um, A hard freeze means you need to get out of dodge. It means things are going badly for you. Um, Something I call tall dog, which is basically where the dog kind of stands up on his toes um, a little bit more, things like that. So just teaching her to see those precursors, teaching her to trust those precursors. And then bigger than that, I think, is teaching her to see uh, when Jade was relaxing or when Jade was calming himself, right? So, and, you know, teaching her to trust that too. So to trust that when he had a loose face and loose body language, um, it was just kind of a softer dog in that moment, trusting that that's not a precursor for aggression. Okay, so We worked really hard on that, Um, just having Emily understand that and be able to see it and be able to trust what she sees. We worked on, you know, with that trust factor, 
giving Jade more freedom, a lot less restriction. So as I had mentioned in the last episode, when Jade first walked into an appointment with me, he walked in on a gentle leader and a really short leash. Um, And this was, that was a damage control technique. I do not blame Emily for that at all. Getting her to trust him on a longer lead, like an eight or 10 foot lead and a harness, that was a big step. But making sure that you know, with that freedom was safety. So we used our neutral dogs. We used a safe space for him. Um, was important. So it was amazing, though, and Emily can vouch for this, how much he was able to relax when he was less controlled. Um, and I always say, you know, we put dogs in the most awkward positions with their own species. Um, I always say that you know, if you went to a party with your hands tied behind your back, um, you would feel awkward, <laughs> to say the very least. You might even feel afraid. And then that's essentially what we do to dogs. We take away their ability to move their body freely around their own kind. And what we do is, when we do that, is we, you know, just sort of forget that... That's how dogs talk to each other is with their bodies, right? They don't have spoken word, but they have um, a very detailed language that they speak through their bodies. And then what we do is we put something on their face that restricts their head movement. Or, you know, we put something painful around their neck, like maybe a prong collar, that also restricts movement because if they move a certain way, they feel pain. Um, I'm even going to categorize the front connection, no pull harnesses, most of them, as really restricting natural movement too. And so then, and so you tie them in such a way, and you know, again, I'm going to come back to you're at a party with your hands tied behind your back. um, And maybe even your head is fixed forward or something like that. And just think of how hard it would be for you to actually feel comfortable and speak and communicate. And you have spoken word. So body language is not the only thing you have. When you know, body language is all the dogs have. And so we take it away from them with our restrictive devices. And it's a big deal, I think, to get away from those things, um, have a natural fitting body harness on them that helps them out. Um, so just putting Jade in a harness and a longer leash was actually a big step. And having Emily trust him enough to do so was the other side of that coin, certainly. Um, and then from there, just had a whole lot of positive experiences around other dogs where he was far enough away from them that he could be relaxed. Um, I also, you know, outfitted Emily with a few things that she could do if dogs bombarded her when she was out and about in the world with Jade, which is always a problem for dogs that struggle with their own kind is when, um, you know, you see Joe Schmo on the trail walking his, you know, unruly labrador and or you know whatever fill in the blank breed and he's just screaming don't worry he's friendly he's friendly as the dog is barreling towards you and your dog and both you and your dog are getting you know increasingly upset so teaching her some body blocking stuff teaching her to be able to throw food at other people's dogs as well as I'm actually a big fan of spray shield or direct stop the it's just a can of citronella it looks like a can of pepper spray but it's citronella Um, keeping that on you because you can break up a dog fight with it really quickly, 
never using it as a corrective tool, um, just really using it as a safety tool sometimes allows handlers to relax. Um, and so then over time with all of the changes we made and then some of this deliberate behavior modification around dogs, Jade has become a dog that Emily mostly trusts around other dogs. And she says now she can tell immediately uh, before Jade is even close to the other dog, which is what she needs to be able to see. Um, she can tell immediately if he's going to like that dog or not. But it has been a very long time since he's had any kind of altercation. And like I said, he hikes off leash all the time. And if you think those hikes are always totally remote, um, you're wrong. We see, I mean, you always see people and their dogs on the trail. One really smart move that Emily did uh, relatively recently was she trained Jade to wear a basket muzzle. Um, I love the Baskerville basket muzzle. And she worked very hard with me in teaching him to wear the muzzle happily. And so now whenever she's hiking in a place where she knows there's going to be people and dogs, she actually just goes ahead and puts his muzzle on him. And he's so happy wearing it, he does not mind. Um, it's a really nice muzzle that allows free movement of the mouth. The dog can fully pant um, and move its mouth and drink and eat treats. And it's really nice. Um, and so he hikes off leash in the muzzle a lot. And this achieves a few things for us. Number one is he's definitely not going to cause harm if an altercation does occur. So that allows Emily to relax a lot when they see other dogs, which in turn helps him to relax. Um, and number two, you know, it's funny when you tell somebody your dog's not friendly, how hard it is for them to listen. But when they see your dog wearing a basket muzzle, they tend to steer clear. And so, you know, for that reason, I'd almost want to put a basket muzzle on every single one of my dogs anywhere we go, <laughs> just so that people would stay away from them and not cause us trouble. Um, and so with all of that stuff, Jade is, he's just much safer, much more relaxed around other dogs. Tight spaces um, that involve high arousal, like agility, remain his toughest uh, challenge with other dogs. And that's to be expected, to be honest. And Emily and I have talked a lot about, you know, what kind of agility trials are best for Jade. Um, and she, you know, she typically enters your smaller shows. She likes outside shows. And, you know, if she's entering at all. And when we talk to her next time, um, we'll talk to her a little bit about where she's at with the agility piece in her journey for Jade. Um, so that's what we did with other dogs. And I have to say it was it was a snapshot. It was just a tiny piece of what we had to do with him was working with other dogs. It's one of the reasons she contacted me in the first place and it wound up not being the biggest thing that we needed to address. And I can't tell you how often that happens. Um, really, really frequently people come to me with one problem and the further we go down the road of helping them with their dogs, um, the more things we reveal and usually we find, you know, what the bigger problem is. And with Jade, it was really um, that he would get himself into such a place of arousal that there was no more, there was no more thought. There was no more um, ability to kind of exhibit any kind of self-control and understand that 
these really high levels of arousal are actually uncomfortable for dogs. Um, I always say, you know, when you get on a roller coaster, you are experiencing the same or similar chemical response in your body as when you do something else that might really freak you out. Like, you know, a lot of people are worried about public speaking. A lot of people, in fact, I, I think I read something that it was the the number one phobia in America is actually public speaking, um, which is like, it was like right above snakes and death. <laughs> and so public speaking ranked really, really high. So think about speaking in front, in front of, you know, 300 people um, or maybe 3,000 people and maybe you're on camera. However, you know, it needs to be for you to understand that it's scary and then also think about getting on a roller coaster, which you might also hate. But let's say we're talking about a person who hates public speaking but enjoys roller coasters. That person is experiencing the same chemical response in their body when they stand in front of the crowd as when they are on the roller coaster. And yet they seek one out and they avoid the other. Um, what we have to assume for dogs is that this is the same thing, is that the rush of chemicals that they feel in, in certain environments that we put them in, like in Jade's case, agility is the same as public speaking and a roller coaster. And then we also don't give them the choice as to whether or not they'd like to seek it out. There are plenty of people who don't seek either in their lives. And so what would happen with Jade is that when Emily was training or competing, Anytime she made a handling error, so anytime she was confusing to him, he would come at her, he would bite her hard, he would body slam her. Um, he, he would really hurt her a lot of the time. It was pretty serious. Um, anytime she needed to reset him, he would do the same thing. So let's say he pops out of the weave poles, she wants to take him back to the start and put him back in. That would be a time that he would bite her as well. Um, and then sometimes she'd be, you know, driving a line for him. So running down a line of jumps or equipment and he'd pull out of the line and come at her. So he would decide, you know, that going after the fast moving object, which was Emily, was more important than seeking out the equipment. And I realize that a lot of people are going to say, well, yeah, that's all a training problem. <laughs> I'm going to say, well, yeah, it is a training problem. But if you don't, think about the arousal piece, you're not thinking about the whole picture. So we did a whole bunch of stuff for Emily and Jade in the agility environment. And I can say that they've gone from not being able to run a five obstacle sequence without him really hurting her and also really getting very frustrated and I don't think very happy himself um, to running Full courses, tough courses, without an incident. Um, several of our final private lessons together were, you know, went off without a hitch. There were there was no biting, there was no frustration. There was it was all good. So what do we do? Um, the first thing we did look at was Emily's handling. She had previously run a, a more typical golden retriever, Layla. She's a lovely, really nice dog of, you know, moderate speed who's very forgiving of mistakes. And so Layla did not make Emily into the kind of aggressive handler that Jade really required. So we worked really hard on her 
running as hard as she could, being very clear, being very aggressive. Um, and then as we went, we found a lot of holes in Jade's foundation training that we also filled in. So as we would go, we would work on her handling a little bit and we'd work on his foundation, therefore understanding a little bit. And I always say, you know, when something goes wrong on course, it was either a miscommunication, meaning the handler didn't tell the dog what they wanted correctly, or it was a misunderstanding, meaning the dog didn't understand the cue that was given. And so in the first place, we need to work on the handler showing the dog in a correct manner. And then the second place, we need to work on the dog's training so that he understands what's being told to him. So talk to Emily about that a lot. And we bounced between the two and just worked on both of those things. Um, and then we got really clear about what reinforcements were smart and how can we use them as smart as possible for Jade? So early on, we worked on, you know, some some control surrounding tug toys um, in the agility setting. And before long, and this is the first dog in my career that I ever advised this, um, before long, we decided to get rid of tug toys in the agility context. I still stand by that decision. Uh, we moved over to food and then sometimes a ball that was placed out on the ground. So not on Emily's body, but I still stand by that choice. I have since learned a few things that make me think perhaps I could have taught Emily how to use a tug toy better. Um, I still think that in general, we wanted Jade thinking calmer, more composed thoughts. And food does that for him and toys do not do that for him. So that's what we went with. We went with food. We also really frequently placed food out on targets or more accurately, I would place the food when Emily marked uh, Jade's correct behavior. And therefore we're getting all the reinforcement off of Emily and therefore making her less and less of the target that Jade was running towards. So I didn't want any, you know, of him rushing up to her to get paid. I wanted him running out on, on the course to get paid. So we would just use, you know, overturned water buckets, big things that he could see clearly with food on them. And then another thing we did was we used placement specific marker signals for his reinforcers, meaning she would use a different marker signal depending on where the food was going to be. So um, one example is that she would say take if she was going to hand the food directly to his mouth. And that was the only time that she was handing food directly to his face. Um, she could also say get and toss the food. Um, and then I would often get his attention and have him drive towards the target when I was putting food out on them. So getting Emily to be very clean with her marker signals and to use marker signals that told the dog where the reinforcement was being delivered to was another big way that we could just provide clarity for Jade because clarity 
is always the enemy of these behaviors that are fueled in frustration, right? Clarity combats frustration. Anytime you're seeing what you believe to be frustration-based behaviors, that means that the rules of the game have not been made clear to a dog. And by rules of the game, I don't necessarily mean, you know, what he is and isn't allowed to do. What I mean is, you know, how are they going to get paid? Where are they going to get paid? And when are they going to get paid? Are all things that need to be made clear to them. Um, we also incorporated what I'm going to call smart downtime in Jade's training. So he would train for a very short burst and then he would get a break and figuring out what kind of break was best for him took trial and error. And if you're experiencing some of the same problems, I'm going to encourage you to also go through this kind of trial and error process. So you're just going to try different things. And originally, uh, we'd been training outside in the hot Colorado sun and we would let Jade go jump in the stock tank that I had by the field for dogs to cool off on on his breaks. And that worked a little bit. And then occasionally Jade would go into um, one of his compulsive behaviors, which is digging in the pool at the water. And I went, uh, that's not good. <laughs> we don't want to be engaging in compulsive behaviors when we're supposed to be relaxing, right? So um, we would allow him to use the pool, but for very short periods of time. It was kind of, if he spent a long time in the pool, he would start to dig. So short times in the pool worked out okay as long as we were very much on top of it. Um, there was also a sweet spot for Jade that we needed to find with exercise before he ran agility um, if he had too much exercise before training, he would be much more likely to fly off the handle. If he had had too little, he usually couldn't even, you know, engage in the first place. So he would have a really hard time even getting involved in the training if he hadn't had adequate exercise that day. The other sweet spot that we needed to address was temperature. Um, when it was very hot, Jade had a very hard time keeping it together. And that's something that's actually been researched a little bit and heat, um, hot temperatures and aggression are positively correlated in a lot of species, including humans. Um, so that's something that we need to think about. So when it was hot, we kept his sessions even shorter. And when it was hot, we allowed him to cool off in the pool, but then asked him to hop back out of the pool um, to continue to have his break. The ultimate and the best break time for Jade wound up being chewing a bone. Uh, and not just any bone. Emily always goes above and beyond and she would get um, these elk knuckle bones, which is just this big nasty joint <laughs> with a lot of meat on it um, for, for him to work on. And having him just flop down on the ground and just gnaw on this meaty bone in between training repetitions wound up being really our golden ticket. We got the best work done when he got those uh, chew, chew the bone breaks. And there are reasons that that makes sense. I'm not going to go too deep into that. Um, but it is something to consider. 
always for for breaks for your dog is to provide them an outlet of some kind for their stress, for their arousal, for these stress hormones that have been pumped through their body. And chewing is a really great way for them to do that. Um, and then, you know, just some other things that are really specific is that we went, okay, here are the times that he bites her, even if we're doing everything right. And one of them was transporting him. So moving him from A to B, he would bite her. Um, and so we did another DRO procedure. So another differential reinforcement of other behaviors from when she would move him from A to B. So she's basically feeding him. She's just feeding him for walking next to her. Um, or she'd leave him on a stay. She'd recall him. You know, she'd leave him on a stay on point A. She'd recall him to point B. She'd pay him for recalling and then they would proceed. Um, and then we got really, you know, more clear on her resets. So she never tried to kind of target him over to a reset that always really frustrated him. Um, so she would put herself over at the reset point, call him over there, ask him for a sitter down, pay him for the sitter down, and then proceed. Um, and then when he did bite her on course, I did want to have some kind of contingency to be sure that we were not building that into any behavior chains and that we were not accidentally reinforcing that. The, it was certainly a self-reinforcing behavior. Um, it relieves his frustration for him. So he's feeling frustration. He goes at her and bites her. Um, we can assume that some negative reinforcement is taking place there, that he is feeling relief from that frustration when he does so. And so what I wanted to be sure was, I wanted to be sure that we had a brief break in the action. And I wanted to be sure that it did not involve Emily needing to cue Jade to do anything because I always want reinforcement for responses to cues. And I wanted to make sure that it didn't involve, you know, Emily at all, really. I didn't want her going towards him to get him, to go give him a timeout or whatever. And a lot of her other trainers, you know, had had her grab him by the collar, tell him to lie down, um, take him off the course, put him in a crate, that kind of thing when he would bite. And I would say that, you know, their brain is on the right track. They're wanting to have a consequence for this behavior. But it was an incomplete um, advice for a piece of advice for her. So what I would just have her do is just stop whatever she was. As soon as she felt teeth on her, that was our rule. You feel teeth on you, stop what you're doing, turn to the course, walk up to a jump, grab a bar, and set reset the bar. So just take it out of the cups, put it back in the cups, then turn back to Jade ask him for another behavior, sit her down, pay him for that, and continue. Um, and usually continuing actually meant go give him a break. Because we would also always recognize that biting is happening because we have asked for too much. Um, but I have to say, she only did that a handful of times. Because all of these other things that we did were, I think what actually changed the behavior. I don't think that setting a bar in the cups changed the behavior at all. I think it was, it made for a complete behavior plan. Um, but if you were doing it much at all, you you kind of missed your, your mark on your other things. And so we were always checking in on how is Jade doing? Um, 
looking at his physiological responses. So when you're handing him food, which she would do when she was transporting, how's his bite? Um, is his mouth getting hard? I would always say, How, where's his bite? How's his bite? When we were training. She looked at me and said, soft. We continued. She looked at me and said, medium. Um, honestly, we'd take a break. And if it was hard, we'd take a long break. Because paying attention to those things is what's going to help you from not getting these big frustration responses. So we were always you know, looking at his pupils, looking at how much he's panting, looking at um, how quickly he returns to her after eating the cookie off of the target that was down the line, looking at all these things and just making sure that Jade's always okay is what we were doing. And so those were, that's what our training sessions started to look like. And I can say um, that the dog looks pretty damn good in agility now. I'm really happy with it. I know that um, Emily sees him as a changed dog. Um, he's still him. She recognizes who he is and what he needs better. Um, but training him is fun for her now. And it wasn't for a long time. Um, and so did we do a whole lot of stuff? Yes. Is it an ongoing process? Absolutely. But... Did Jade get better? Yes, he did. And I today I would say that his case is resolved. I would say that we worked very hard and now Emily has the tools to go forward with him, which is what she didn't have when she showed up. So the next time that we talk, we're actually going to talk with Emily um, on the podcast. So in two weeks, I'm going to release that. And we're just going to get a snapshot of where Jade is now. I think you'll be interested to hear, you know, how much agility they're doing, how much agility they might not be doing and why. Um, and I'll be really happy to get some feedback from her and just kind of hear how he's doing. So don't forget, if you've got a question, you can shoot me an email. Uh, the email for this podcast is cogdogradio at gmail.com. And I hope to see you guys next time.